Well, good evening, McLeansville, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. As we are once again, meaning myself and the AP, preparing this from inside the studios, our broadcast studio here at the church. And uh, we're excited to come to you tonight for Wednesday night Bible study. Just gather together one more time around these, uh, the Word of God and a time of prayer. And to the best of our current ability to be able to fellowship one with another in this way. Let me just take a moment and say this. I uh, really, really do appreciate all that you are doing to stay in connection and build connection with one another during this time. And as a pastor and an associate pastor, Brother Corey and I greatly appreciate all the good feedback that we get. It is encouraging to us. And as much as it encourages us in what we're doing, it also is a great encouragement to our heart to know that you're reaching out to one another and looking out for one another. And just continue to do that, church. I know these are difficult, strange times and uh, hard to discern it all and explain it all, but with the help of the Lord, we're doing the best we can to search out His mind and His leading on it, and uh, we just appreciate your being a part of it and staying faithful, staying true, and continue to strengthen your God dependence, continue to stay connected with the church, and continue to strengthen your families during this time. And that's another thing. I hear that uh, pretty frequently from folks, the ways that they're spending time together as families, doing things that they have not done a lot of in a while. So it's such a blessing to do that. What I want to do uh, right now is I want to prepare to lead you in our time of prayer together. And uh, Brother Corey will be doing the Bible study this evening. He's been preparing, studying uh, to lead us in that. But I wanted to be able to speak to you first and uh, greet you. But then also I want to lead you in a prayer time tonight. And there are many things for us to be praying about. But I just want to pray for our heart. I want to pray for uh, our collective hearts. I want to pray for your heart as an individual and for the heart of your family and your home during this time right now. I know that lately, before all this happened, when we would have our prayer times together, I'd been asking Miss Debbie if she would to play softly for us as we would pray, and I thought it would be a nice touch if we would have some of that tonight. And I've got uh, got a recording of Miss Debbie and Miss Beverly playing, and I want to use that song this evening as we pray. And then what I'm going to do, I just want to lead you through some thoughts uh, in prayer and uh, just encourage you to pray along with us. But I'm, I'm going to be praying tonight again for your heart, for our heart together. I want to pray uh, for our families, those in our church that are separated right now, maybe some sickness. By that I mean they've got loved ones that are sick and they're not able to be with them. I know I talked with Brother Curtis Hazlip just today, in fact, and uh, his mother is now uh, going to be in the, in the uh, facility and they're not able to visit. She's been in the hospital. So people have been separated from loved ones during this time. I want to pray for Preacher Jack, Miss Jean Lemons, and the challenges and trials that they're going through right now. Just lift them up. And just pray for more grace and more of God together. And uh, so let's do that right now. Lord, as we bow together this evening, I want to begin with gratitude. Lord, today I've spent time with some other pastors. I've spent time talking with some people of our own church. And something that I have heard constantly today is appreciation God, your goodness to us during this time, it is not unnoticed. We need it, Lord. And one of the great prayers of our heart during this time needs to be that we would have more of you. God, I pray right now for our church family, Lord, that we would all experience more of you during this hour. During this, these days that we're in, 
There's so much, Lord, we don't have control over right now. There's many things we don't understand, and we can't even see the end of the time that we're in, but each day, God, help us to see you. May our hearts be open to you, Lord, to to knowing and realizing more of what you're doing in our life. Lord, I think about the passage of Scripture that we looked at Sunday. Lord, you prayed for Peter. You said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And there will be much that happens in these days that will challenge our faith, Lord, that will cause us to begin to look to other alternatives, other options, that would draw our heart away from you. Lord, while there is so much goodness right now that we can embrace, there is also many snares of the devil. There is also many temptations during this time to draw the heart of your people away from you. God, thank you for, Lord Jesus, thank you for keeping us in prayer. Thank you for being our advocate at the throne. Lord, I pray that once again, each one of us would bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Jesus during this time. So while we continue to contend with the thoughts, we continue to contend with fears and anxieties and stress and things that perplex us, God, help us to arrest every one of those thoughts that are not of you and bring them into captivity and say, Lord Jesus, this is not from you. This is not your spirit. This is not your truth. And Lord, I want to bring that and give it to you. You are the master of my heart. You are the master of my life. We pray for that, Lord, during this time. God, I ask that you would be with preacher and Miss Jean and bless them during this time and, and keep them safe and well. I pray for our families in the church that are going through these difficult trials right now. I pray, God, that you would uh, just comfort them uh, like preacher Jack and Miss Jean, Lord, and, and what they're experiencing during this time of separation. Uh, these families that have loved ones in the hospital and they can't see them, they can't visit them. And uh, Lord, they're trying to find ways to connect. Lord, that's a trial of this time and we need you to help us. I pray for more grace, God, more grace for our homes, more grace for our hearts, more of you, God, more of you. I pray, God, that you would help us to see you in all of these things, that each and every day we would just give ourselves wholly to you. As we pause, Father, to come before you, before the Bible study tonight, before uh, all that is to take place in our homes as we gather around the Word, we just ask, God, that you would strengthen us. And I, I want to just, Lord, bring the prayer of the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians back to our church family tonight. As he said in Ephesians chapter 3, For this cause, Lord, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant all of us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that all of us, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen.
All right, prepare your hearts, get your Bibles. We're going to have a missionary update provided for you. And then right after that, Brother Corey is going to bring tonight's Bible study. God bless each one of you. I look forward to studying together. Our missions update tonight is the Matthew Rose family, our missionaries to Kenya, East Africa. This is Brother Matthew, his wife Rebecca, their daughters Deborah, Hannah, Esther, Lydia, and Priscilla. The most recent letter writes, God in His perfect will has postponed our move to Kenya. We were not able to fly out on March 18th because Kenya closed its borders for 30 days due to COVID-19. Our airline has tentatively rescheduled our flight for Monday, April 20th. We are aware that this may change again because of the fluid nature of airline schedules right now. Obviously, this means that we will need to rework our plans a little bit once we land in Kenya. We are praying that we will still be able to begin language school right away as classes were supposed to begin the first week of April. We were ready to go, but we know that God has a purpose for our delay. Nothing takes Him by surprise. And he goes on to write and say, Our family continues to be healthy and well. Esther, our middle daughter, turned six in January. We were able to get our shipment prepared for our container, but there are still a few details to be worked out before the container will ship. We can see now why God has delayed its departure for a couple of months. As far as we know, all the paperwork we can complete in the USA is now finished. We will still have much more to do once we arrive in Kenya. May we all have confidence in our Lord during these times. He is worthy of our praise and our trust. And this is Brother Matthew, Miss Rebecca, Rose, their daughters Deborah, Hannah, Esther, Lydia, and Priscilla. Let's do be faithful to remember them as well as all of our missionaries in prayer this week. I'm excited to be able to take part in this with each and every one of you to be able to lead the Bible study portion this evening. And I'm excited about the message that God has given for us for this hour that we're in tonight. You know, we can all use a little bit of encouragement. We can all use a little bit of direction, a little bit of purpose. And that's exactly what Scripture provides to each and every one of us. I trust that you have been finding your refuge in the Lord throughout this time, that you've drawn closer to Him, that you've spent some time in His Word, because He and He alone is able to give us what we need, not only in this present trial that we're facing, but in each and every trial heretofore. And I'm looking forward to being able to dive into God's Word tonight, to be able to glean some truths that hopefully will be as much of a blessing and a help to you as they have been to me. But I want to begin by asking, have you ever heard anyone use a phrase such as, uh, well, you know, in the middle of this trial, God's still on the throne. Or maybe you've heard that he's still in control. My personal favorite is nothing takes God by surprise. And you know, there's a lot of truth that's contained in each and every one of these phrases, but I'm convinced that we have, uh, we've kind of lost some of the truths about each of these things. They've almost become cliches. They've almost just kind of come uh, those little uh, words of encouragement that, that we mean well when we use them. We speak them to our brother and sister to try to encourage them a lot of times through trials that we don't understand what they're going through where it seems like there's nothing else to say except to say that, well, uh, God's still in control. God can work through this trial. God can work through this difficult day. He can do something in and through this that, that we don't all the time understand or are able to explain. Yet I'm afraid that those have become just flippant expressions. And I want tonight... For us to be able to dive into Scripture, for us to be able to pull out the literal truth behind these statements that we so often use. And I'd like to invite you tonight to turn to the book of Romans chapter number 11. 
Romans chapter number 11. Because the very first thing that we have to pull out, if we're ever going to truly believe these kind of statements, if we're ever going to genuinely understand that God is still on the throne, He is still in control, nothing takes Him by surprise, He has a plan and a purpose for everything, if we're really going to understand that, then the very first thing that we're going to have to grasp is we're going to have to see why we should believe God. Why should we believe God? What is it about the nature of God? What is it about uh, the plan and the purpose of God? Why is it that we should believe that God is capable and in control? Romans chapter number 11. We're going to pick up our reading in verse number 33. The Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul here is wrapping up chapter number 11, and he's giving these four words of encouragement. Romans chapter number 9, 10, 11 are filled with a lot of difficult truths. It's a, it's a hard passage to chew and to uh, all the time understand. And, and, and even now, there's, uh, there's, there's constant uh, growth. There's more understanding of the truths of Scriptures. But Paul wraps all this up and says, Listen, there's one thing that we need to understand, and it's this. We'll never fully understand God. There's one thing that we need to understand about the will of God. And it's that we'll never be able to see His plan the way that He sees it. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And then He goes on down to say, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? I believe it is safe to say, and Scripture confirms this thought, that there is much about God that we do not and cannot understand. We can't grasp the eternal plan of an eternal God while we are fallible fallen creatures. Now one day we'll get that glorified body. We'll uh, be separated from this sin-cursed body. But for the time being we are bound by this human flesh. We can't understand everything about God. So what is it that we need to do? Why should we believe God? If we can't understand everything about God, if we can't understand everything about the plan and the purpose and the ways of God, why is it that we should believe God? And I encourage you it's with this. We should believe God not because of what we don't understand, but rather we should believe God because of what we do understand. I'll draw your attention back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 100 verse 5, the Bible says, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. What do we see here? Here we see clear as day, plain as the nose on our face, this one thought, and it's this, that God is good. God is good. We can take some encouragement from that. We can delight in that. 
Why should we believe God? Why should we uh, have confidence in His plan? Why should we believe that He is at work in all things? It is because of this fact. What we do understand about God is that God is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. So as we believe that God is good, we can also believe that there are depths to the knowledge and plan of God that we cannot understand, but we know that in all of God's plans, God is good. Now, how does that help us today? I'll remind you of some of those phrases. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. Nothing takes God by surprise. So if He has a plan, as we see at the end of verse 36, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. If He has a plan to receive glory in all things, and we know that we may not understand everything, but we do know that in and through everything that God does, that God is good, We can delight in that. We can accept that reality. We can accept that in belief. And we can now move to step two of this process. You say, what is that? Well, we've seen why it is that we should believe God. And I'll remind you, it's because God is good. So now what should we do? We continue on in Scripture and we see how we should trust God. For you see, there is a difference in believing in God and in trusting in God. The word belief in our English language means an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Belief is just to acknowledge the fact that yes, God exists and yes, God is good. However, trust takes on a much deeper meaning. Trust means an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Did you catch that? Trust is an assured reliance. For you see, I can believe in God. I can believe in the existence of God. I can believe in the knowledge that God is good. But until I display my trust in Him, until I accept the, the reliance of God in my life, I'm coming very short of what it is that God's wanted me to do. Uh, I'll illustrate this uh, from James chapter number 2, verse number 19. The Bible says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. See, we see the difference in belief and trust even displayed in salvation. The devils believe that there is a God. The devils believe that Jesus is God. We see that uh, through several encounters of Jesus with uh, the various demons that he cast out. They acknowledge, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? They, They acknowledge, they believed, they accepted the reality that God is God, that Jesus is God. They understand that, but there's no trust that is displayed there. Salvation moves on forward. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Belief is just step one. Belief is the, the acknowledgement and the acceptance of the fact that yes, there is a God. Yes, God is real. 
Yes, God is there, but now I'm exercising my trust in that reality and that now I am fully relying on what God has done for me. Now we have displayed our trust in God. So if that's the difference in belief and trust as it relates to being saved, how do we see the difference in belief and trust even after we are saved? Oh, I'm not talking about losing our salvation. I'm not talking about stopping trusting in God for salvation. But salvation is just step one. That is just the first part of the process of Christian life. Christ didn't come to die for us just so that we could get saved. But now Christ offers us a life and He provides for us a new life in Him. So what then must we do? I think of Proverbs 3, 5 and, 6, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. and Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. We must place our trust in Him. Even after we are saved, even after salvation, each and every day of our life, we have to, on purpose, place our trust in Him. How do we do that? Go back to our text. Now look in Romans chapter number 12. Verse number 1, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Think about this. An Old Testament sacrifice was a one-time event for that animal. That lamb would die once and only once. Why? Because the sacrifice required him to die. Yet God does not require of us to die. Rather, He requires of us to live. He came not to take our life, but to give us new life, or rather, a true life. So many times, and I know we've heard this preached on this passage, but we view that that God is wanting us to sacrifice our life. He's wanting us to give up our dreams. He's wanting us to give up our plans. And we almost look at it through a defeatist lens, as if we're giving up everything for God. But in reality, we are giving up absolutely nothing for God because the life that we have in and of ourselves is a life of doom, it is a life of despair, it is a life of hopelessness. There is no future in the life which we can provide for ourselves. Yet through the life of Christ, hey, the the uh, the possibilities are endless, so to speak. He has come to give us fulfillment in life. He has come to give us direction. He has come to give us a mission to accomplish. Can I say it this way? He has come to give us a life worth living. And that's what it is that God is asking of us. That's what it is that God is desiring of us. To trust in Him is to bring ourselves to Him. It's to act on our belief. I believe that each and every one of us would say, oh yes, Brother Corey, I, I believe that God's way is best. I believe that God is in control. I believe that God has a plan for that. And to that I would say, great, wonderful. My next question is, are you trusting in that belief? Are you on purpose doing anything to put your belief on display? That's what trust is. That is how we manifest our trust in God. It is taking our belief and it is putting our belief in action. Paul 
he, des- he describes in the last four verses of chapter number 11 that yes, we may not be able to understand everything about God. We may not be able to understand everything about the plan of God, but we know that God is working everything out to His honor and to His glory. And so he says, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, or because of the truths that we've just talked about, I am now imploring you, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, to act out on the trust that you say that you have. This is going to be an intentional action on our part, especially in the times and the trials that we find ourselves in today. We have to purposefully exercise our belief in God by operating out of trust in God. Each and every day we must present ourselves to Him. We must choose to live in the world but not of the world so that He may guide our thoughts, actions, and decisions. Our daily sacrifice is to acknowledge that even though we may not fully understand the plan of God, we always keep this in mind, that God is good and that we are going to seek after Him even in the midst of our chaos. It's vital that we do this. We must place our trust in God. Again, it's far more so than just in salvation. Each and every day, we wake up and we acknowledge, Lord, I don't know what you have in store for me today. God, I don't know what your plan is for my life today. But I know that you have one. And I know that it is good. Lord, I'm asking you to guide and direct me in it. Believe so many times we, we, we have the idea that, that, yes, God has a plan, but God has a plan for the whole world. And God does have a plan for the whole world. It is His desire and it is His, it is His longing for the whole world to come to redemption and to accept what Christ did. He's got a plan for the whole world and He is working in and through the whole world. But friend, we lose sight of the fact that God has a plan for the individual. He has something that He wants to do in me, individually. In you, individually. Are we grasping that reality? The eternal God of heaven. Whereas we would look and say, well, God's too busy with the whole to care about one insignificant part. Friend, you couldn't be more wrong. God literally came and died for that one insignificant part. He loves you. He desires to meet with you. He desires to guide you. And He has a plan for your life, and it is good. How do we know that God's plan for my life is good? It's because God is good. And God doeth all things well. Are we believing in that reality? Are we trusting in that reality? Is it drawing anything out of us? It should should be bringing our trust closer to Him. If we are trusting in God, not just believing that God is good, but trusting that God is good, bringing ourselves daily as a living sacrifice to God, allowing Him to to do His plan and to do His work in our life, well then, friend, I'm excited to tell you that that comes with something that we can expect from God. If we believe in God. We trust in the plan and the goodness of God and the work that He is wanting to do through every circumstance in our life. 
we can now expect God to do something in us. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is it that we can expect from God? Friend, we can expect for God to transform us. I did a little bit of looking into this word transform in verse number 2. And I've read this passage multiple times. I've uh, preached out of this passage multiple times. And no doubt I've probably heard what I'm about to present to you preached before, but it just it caught me today. The word transform here that we have in our English word comes from the Greek word, which we also get our word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is that process by which, you know, that, that cute little caterpillar uh, crawls up into the tree, spins that cocoon, and uh, over the course of time he becomes this beautiful butterfly. And it is, a, it is a metamorphosis, it is a transformation that takes place in that caterpillar. But it is the direct result of what is already on the inside. He already has the DNA capabilities, he already has the makeup of being a butterfly, but it is the process by which he goes from one creature and his body changes and everything about him goes through this process to where now he becomes this beautiful butterfly. That's the same word that we have transform right here in chapter number 12, verse number 2. See, what is this? God is desiring to go with what is already inside of us. We already have within us the capability of being the finalized product that God is wanting to bring out of us. What is that? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, the book of 1 Corinthians says, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We have a new makeup. We have a new man, a new nature. Everything within us, our, our DNA, we've got the finished product inside of us. And this Christian life is that metamorphosis process in us. It is that part where God is molding, He is shaping us, He is altering us, He is making us, and He is, he is changing us into the image of His Son. That is what we were created and designed to be. That is what we were intended to become. Are we aware of that? That God is making us into His image. What a thought. What truth, what hope that that brings for us. That we can be encouraged in. That we can delight in. That God is making us like Him. What an expectation that we have from God. He didn't just come to save us, to redeem us, to keep us out of hell. That would have been good enough, friend. Oh, I'd still want to get saved. I don't want to go to hell. But that's just scratching the surface. Now throughout our Christian life, God is molding he is shaping us. He is transforming us into His initial plan and His desired creation of us, which was to manifest and magnify His image. We were created in the image of God. Oh, sin tried to disrupt that. Sin brought upon a, a different side of us that God never intended for us to be there. 
But yet through his redemption, through the act of Christ on Calvary, now we have the opportunity and the ability to once again be transformed into that divine image, into what God would have for us to be, into the image of God. Oh, let's take some encouragement. Let's, uh, let's delight in that. See, so many times we see this here in chapter 12, verse number 2, we see this as, as sort of that surface level, that shallow turning over of a new leaf. Well, God can transform us into a better person. And uh, don't misunderstand me. If we yield to God, we're going to be better, better people. We're going to be uh, more moral people. We're going to be a better neighbor. We're going to be a better citizen. Uh, we're going to be a, a better employee, a better person. But, but that's, that's just the beginning. God is not transforming us into better people. That is a byproduct of the larger transformation that is taking place. He is working within us to bring out and to magnify His Son in us. We possess the Spirit of God. We possess that new nature, that new creature. The purity of God is within us, and God is bringing that out in us. We should be rejoicing in this. You say, well, you don't understand what's going on in the world. You don't understand what's going on all about us. That brings us back to our text. Verse number 2 tells us, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. To conform is to change by outside pressures. We see that as, uh, as uh, the, 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 the pottery. You know, you're conforming that. You are molding it. You are shaping it. You are bringing outside pressures and you are, you are forcing something into a mold. That's not what God is doing in us. Hey, I know uh, we, we, we understand the imagery that God is the potter and he is, he is molding us into a vessel that He can use. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. But when we get to the New Testament, when we, when we get to what God is now doing through us, through His Son, He's not just shaping us and forcing us and, and making us be something. Friend, God will not make us be anything that we are not yielded to becoming. Got to understand that. For you see, if we do not yield to God, then by default... We will be conformed by the world. The world will shape us. The world will mold us. The, the world will conform us into something completely different than what God desired for us. For you see, before the transformation can take place from the inside out, we've got to see verse 1. We have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We have to daily... Uh, step aside and, and, and put away the world, what the world is wanting to do with us. The, the thoughts, the, the impressions, the, uh, everything that the world is trying to cram down our throat, we have to isolate from that. We have to get away from that, understanding that the transformation of God in and through us is far more valuable. You see, the world seeks to conform our minds. It seeks to bombard us with false truths, despair, negativity, and defeat. 
So why does the world do that? Why doesn't the world focus on the positives? Why does it seem like the news is always focused on the negatives? Why doesn't it ever why doesn't it ever look at the good and it's in this world? Friend, can I tell you? It's because the world has not experienced the first truth that we talked about, and it's that God is good. They do not know the goodness of God. They have not experienced the goodness of God. Therefore, they have no hope. Their life is hopeless. Their life is void of any kind of purpose. Therefore, they're trying to conform everyone else. The, the people that are doing this, they're not doing this out of, out of, um, out of malition or out of, uh, out of just being just awful individuals. They're doing this because they are being controlled by forces which they don't even understand. They can't acknowledge the reality of the spiritual warfare because they've not even acknowledged the reality of the goodness of God. They're just going through doing what, for lack of better terms, they're programmed to do. They're not our enemy. But we have to understand that we can't go to them looking for our hope, looking for our good news. Oh, they may have feel-good, inspirational stories that are, that are good to, to uplift our spirits, but those are always just for a time. Then, then it's, it seems like it's right around the corner and there's, there's more negativity, there's more opposition, there's more darkness, and it just keeps getting piled on and on and on top of us. Why? Because the world is trying to conform our mind to be more like their image, but we must intentionally ignore that turn that off, get away from it, and seek after the Lord so that He can transform us from the inside out. It's going to take that daily decision. It's going to take that on-purpose desire. Now, if we've done this, we've believed in God, we've trusted in God, we've acted on that belief, we have brought ourselves to the Lord. We are daily seeking after the Lord. We are craving after Him. We are going after Him. We are doing all that we can to be more like Him. Then this expectation, this transformation that we can receive from God, it's manifested in three different ways. And this is how we're going to close tonight. I just want to highlight these for you. First thing that we see is that we see that this transformation will bring in us a calming peace. The world is constantly in an uproar. Why? There is no peace in the world. Yet part of the transformation that God desires to do in us is to bring us to His peace. Philippians chapter 4 verse number 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As we believe in the truths of God, specifically that one underlying truth that God is good, his plans are good. What He desires to work in us in, is good. And that to trust in Him by being a living sacrifice, He will transform our lives from the worry, the doubt, and the fear which the world is propagating. What does that bring? That brings peace. Reliance on God. Total, 100% yieldedness to God. Desiring after Him. Seeking after Him longing for Him, communing with Him. All of these things that we have been encouraging the church to do, especially over the last couple of weeks, to, to heighten our God dependence. As Pastor Mike has been saying, to, to intensify our relationship and our walk with the Lord. To do all of these things is in turn going to bring the peace of God into our life, even in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of turmoil. You can mark it down, and many of you have already begun experiencing this. The more that you try to trust in God, 
The more that you try to rely on God, the more that you try to increase your God dependence, the more you bring upon yourself the spiritual warfare. The more the negativity comes, the more the opposition comes, the more that all of the stuff that you're trying to get away from sees like it builds and it intensifies. But as you've no doubt experienced, as the more of that stuff grows, the more that you rely on God, the more that you develop your trust in God, you can't explain it. You don't know where it comes from. But there's just a calming peace that comes even in the midst of all that uncertainty. What is that? It's the transformation of God in your life. That is what God is desiring to work on the inside to bring out. The more of that reliance of God, the more of that peace that is displayed. We're not talking about that blind optimism of just, ah, everything's going to be okay. But a deep-rooted resolve that everything is going to be good. Everything may not be okay in the world, but God has a plan for me because I love God. I depend on God. And I have a peace that, God, you know exactly where I'm at and that you are good and what you are desiring to do in me is good as well. With that calming peace, it will bring us a new perspective. I want you to think for a minute about the life of the Apostle Paul. All that he experienced. All that he faced. From being stoned, left for dead, beaten. uh, One time, uh, actually being stoned to death. God reviving him. All of the rejection that he faced. All of the doubt and the uncertainty that he received even from the brethren after salvation. All of the unease and, uh, and the rejection. All, all that Paul had and all the, the heartaches and the hardships that Paul had. And what does he say at the end of chapter 12, verse number 1? He says, this is your reasonable service. It's the very least that we can do to yield our life to God. It's the very least that we can do to allow God to work in us. All of the stuff that the world throws at us, it pales in comparison. This is the least that we could do for God. It brings a new perspective. He pins down earlier in this book, chapter number 8, verse number 28, he says that, and we know that all things work together for good. Now, a lot of times we stop there. We know that all things work together for good, but there's more to this verse. It says, to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. The key to this verse is that, to them that love God. This is far more than just a, oh yes, Brother Corey, I love God. Oh, oh yes, I, 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 boy, I love God. Mom all taught me to love God. Boy, Papa all taught me to love God. Oh yes, I love God. That's a shallow love. I am talking about a deep-seated just fully given over type love. You know, the kind of love that you should have with your spouse, where your spouse is yours and yours alone, and you are theirs and theirs alone. You desire no other companionship like you do that with your spouse. You desire no other relationship. Hey, that is, uh, that is the deepest, uh, purest, most, uh, most undefiled relationship in your life. Boy, you, uh, you just give yourself completely over to them and you want more of them. There's a reason that our relationship with our spouse is that way. 
It is because it is to be a picture of how our relationship with God should be. With that same intensity that we display towards our spouse, men towards our wives, ladies towards our husbands, it is with that same kind of intensity that we are to seek after and to love after God. Because that is how God loves us. Not the church collectively, the church individually. That is how God loves you. That is how God loves me. On that individual personal level. And that is how I am to love God. When I begin to increase my love for God in that way, then and only then can I claim the promise of Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good. Why? Because it's part of that transformation process. Everything that happens when we are fully yielded to God, when we are fully given to God, and we are 100% uh, given over to, uh, to what it is that He is wanting to do, we get that new perspective. Now we understand that everything around us is being used in that transformation process to bring the goodness of God out of us, to transform us into that new creature, and to make us more in the image of God. It brings a new perspective. We have that calming peace. We have that new perspective. And then and only then will it also bring a clear path. End of verse number two. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have misused this phrase, finding the will of God in our life. So many young people say, boy, I, I want to serve the Lord, but if I can just find God's will for my life, a lot of adults say, boy, I want to do more for God if I could just find God's will for your life. I'm about to give you the patented secret behind finding God's will for your life. Are you ready? Get out your pen and paper. I want you to write this down. This is deep stuff. You ready to know what God's will for your life is? It's this. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see the progression there? Be not conformed to this world. Lay aside the world. Get away from the world. Stop being fed by all of that nonsense. But instead, yield to God and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That as you are transformed, ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yes, I firmly believe that you have a uh, a, a, a plan and a purpose. God has a will for your life that you and you alone can accomplish. And you know what it is? It's for you to be transformed. It's for you to become more like Christ. To be transformed into the image of God. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. You're going to have to do that yourself. You're going to have to yield to the Lord in your own life as an individual. Allowing God to transform you into His image. That's God's will for your life. As you are embracing that path, as you are embracing that transformation in your life, allowing God to do that work, then God will begin to highlight that path. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. What is that? That's the transformation. And He shall direct thy paths. Brother Corey, should I be a preacher? Well, are you transformed by the image of God? Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Are you, are you yielded to God? 
Brother Corey, should I go to the mission field? Should I do this? Should I do that? You're asking all the wrong questions. The question you should be asking yourself is, am I yielded to God's transformation in my life? Am I daily seeking after Him? Am I longing after Him? Am I getting into His Word? Am I asking Him, God, what is it that you're wanting to do in my life today? That's the question you should be asking. And as God works that transformation in your life, He'll highlight everything else. He'll make clear the path which you should take. Remember, God is good. God's plan for the life of those that love Him is good. Trust in Him. Rely in Him. The reality is there is so much doubt and uncertainty in this world, and not just in today's troubles. But it seems like in the current climate of the world that all this is magnifying the doubt that has always been there. Yet as a Christian, we have been blessed to have the escape, or to borrow from Pastor Mike, the refuge of God. Use this time as an opportunity to embrace the transformation that God desires to do in you. Yes, He desires to transform you. I want to drive home this point one last time. The eternal God of the universe out of the seven and a half billion people on this world, desires to individually transform and to do a work in you. Don't lose sight of that. God is interested in the individual. He wants nothing more than to invest His time, His energy, and His thoughts into you. Yield to the Lord. What a thought that that is. May we today take some encouragement and determine to intentionally Present ourselves to God. Allow Him to do the work that He wants to do. Friend, what a great God that we serve. And what an opportunity that He provides to each and every one of us. May we close tonight in this prayer. Asking the Lord to make us more yielded to Him. To help us to intentionally put on blinders to all that the world is trying to throw at us. To stop feeding ourselves with that and being conformed by all of that, but instead to be yielded to the transformation, that new creature, that divine image that God is seeking to bring out in us to allow us to work the work that only He can do in our lives. May we close together in prayer tonight. Lord, we thank You for this time of study that You blessed us with. Thank You for the opportunity that we've had to get into Your Word. Thank you that we have the promise of knowing that even in uncertain times, even in difficult days, even in times when we have no idea what plan it is that you're trying to do in our life, that we have the hope and the promise of knowing that you are a good God and you do all things well. And every plan that you have is ultimately for our good, and our benefit, if we are yielded to what you are trying to transform us into. For ultimately, everything that you do, we understand, is for your honor and for your glory. Our lives were created to bring glory to you. The image which you are trying to bring us into will bring glory and honor to your name. We ask that you would help us all to be yielded to that work that you're wanting to do, to determine to allow our lives to bring glory and honor to you, to take peace and encouragement through all of the trials of our lives, 
And God, may we seek after you more in the days ahead. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We trust that you have a great remainder of your evening. God bless.